Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Smart Firefighting Podcast. Today, we have James Gearing on the podcast. James always had a dream to become a firefighter, experienced a lot of unique obstacles along the way to becoming a firefighter, and has now served in the fire service for over 15 years. James has started his own podcast called Behind the Shield Podcast, and he's really done a lot of work with talking about and highlighting issues of firefighter wellness, PTSD, sleep deprivation, exercise and diet within the fire service. Really grateful and excited to have him on the podcast here. I think you're really going to enjoy him. You can also learn more about his podcast at Behind the Shield Podcast or jamesgearing.com. Really think you guys will enjoy this. Have fun and take care. Really excited today to have James Gearing on our podcast. James is originally from England and now resides in Orlando, Florida. Uh, James is a man of many trades. He's a firefighter and paramedic for over 12 years, a CrossFit coach, and about to be a graduate from the University of Florida with a bachelor's in exercise physiology and kinesiology. James, really excited to have you here. How you doing, mate? Glad to be here. Doing well. So fill in some of those gaps that I just missed there. Tell me a little bit about your background, about who you are, how you became a firefighter, and, and sort of this journey to where you are um, now here today in Orlando. Okay. Well, firstly, I guess I need to update my website because those are all uh, a, a little bit off now. I, I graduated the University of Florida, and it's been about 15 years in the fire service total now. Um, so, But that's totally my fault. I need to go back and <laughs> update what I wrote. Um, so very, very long story, very short. Um, I grew up in England and wanted to be a fireman and wanted to be a doctor when I was young. Uh, I was told I couldn't be a firefighter because I was colorblind, according to the, the magic book that we're all given. Um, so I helped uh, one of my friends try and get in the fire service over there. Um, then the, the doctor stuff ended when I realized I was pretty crap at some of the sciences that I had to take that had anything to do with math whatsoever. Um, and also had a realization I didn't want to be stuck behind a desk kind of with a prescription pad. I didn't feel that was really helping people from, from what I had seen. Um, so fast forward a long, long time, moved to, I was a stuntman, so I ended up uh, meeting a girl on one of the uh, shows that I did and uh, moving to America. And it was when I came here, right before I kind of had an epiphany, I was reading an article in, in a magazine about what firemen did here or firefighters did here. Um, and I kind of, just at that moment, was like, wait a second, I'm not colorblind. I can see all these colors. I'm just not seeing them as clearly as other people. This is complete rubbish. So I, uh, I enrolled in fire school, very nervous in the first medical, um, which I passed just fine because they just named things in the room. They didn't even pull that book out. Um, and that was it. So I, I started fire school in Orlando. Um, my now ex-wife wanted to move to Miami to be uh, a star. So we went and worked in Hialeah. It was my first fire department down in Miami, which was by far the hardest training I've ever done in, in, a, in a fire department leading up to it because they had uh, non-certs and certs mixed in. So the non-certs went through full fire school. They kept us on the draw ground and beat the crap out of us for three months. Um, so then she wanted to go to California, so I got hired at Anaheim Fire Department on the West Coast and worked there for a few years as a truckie. Absolutely loved it. It was a Tillerman on the, on the truck. Very, very busy truck in the middle of town. Um, and uh, was broken hearted when I left. But we had a little boy. She wanted to move back to the East Coast. So we came back over here. Worked for Orange County Fire for five years. Um, was put in a place. I went through a divorce. Was put in a place um, by that department where I just couldn't stay anymore. We were getting mandatory all the time. I was a single dad trying to be with my son. And so uh, I moved over to Reedy Creek, which is the fire department that 
architects Disney World here, and that's where I've been for the last five years. Wow, quite the story. You've been on the West Coast, East Coast. Now we just got to get you in the Midwest, in Chicago. There we go. It's next. I mean, I've only got so many years left. <laughs> who's who's hiring? <laughs> yeah. Hey, man. The Chicago fires. Uh, there's a lot of firefighters here, so maybe someday. Well, that's it's quite the interesting journey in terms of you had this dream to become a firefighter, and you had some of these obstacles around, let's say, whether it was just your 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 eyesight. And I, I find that interesting with the whole notion of obstacles along the way in terms of obstacles that you encounter as a firefighter. And I've I've seen with some of your background in terms of really diving into health and wellness and diving into some of the firefighter uh, safety and awareness is something that has really spoken to me and a lot of the people that I talk to. And I think with I'd love to kind of dive into some of this um, stuff that you've encountered personally from firefighter health and wellness and then some of the sort of the current issues that you see, whether um, from some of these things from the, let's just say, with the, the mindset of the firefighter, of the historic of this invincibility of the firefighter notion of, hey, we're a firefighter, we're strong, we're tough, this is the way we've always done it. Uh, but kind of, I'd love to kind of hear some of your thoughts on sort of what you've encountered personally and then maybe some of these stories that you've, you've uh, encountered from other people having to do with some of this uh, firefighter perception of wellness. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been interesting because what I've learned, I've got a, a slightly unusual perspective. I'm not saying I'm... I'm I'm an expert in anything whatsoever. That's why I bring experts on the show and ask them questions. And I just get to, to, to sit and ask a textbook questions, you know, these, these incredible minds that we have. But what I've realized um, the challenges are is, is a two, two-fold challenge. You've got, firstly, ownership from the fire department, from the firefighters. Um, and I, I never, you know, I talk a lot about who we work for as well, but, but that's just as an important part. So, you know, I, I myself... Um, take my nutrition very seriously I try and I try and take my sleep seriously when I'm home I try and do mental practice to, to offset obviously the things that we do and the the negative sides of the sleep deprivation um, training you know I, I've, I've most people I'm sure out there they're not getting sent through all their training fully paid and given time off most of us are using vacation days and paying out of pocket um, and so there's that you know if you come into the station every day and, and you don't care about your own health that um, you know, or your own ability to do the job, I find that very offensive because, um, and I, I throw this quote out all the time, but uh, John Spira has, um, would you want you rescuing you, which I love, and my version of it is, how would you feel if your family died because the rescuer hadn't trained? And that sounds harsh, but it's the reality of what we do, that every one of us needs to be the absolute best version of ourselves, and that's why I love bringing the, the special operations community on because they obviously walk the walk in that capacity. The other side of it, though, that I've seen is the working conditions, which definitely negatively affect some of the things that we've been talking about as well. Um, and a big thing that I've been talking about for a while is the actual shifts themselves. And I'm not talking about chopping shifts up into 12s or 8s or whatever, but that the person doing your taxes is working a 40-hour week and going to their own bed. But the police officer that's pulling over your teenager or the firefighter that's about to climb, you know, through your family's window or do pediatric medications at three in the morning is working a 56 hour week and is super sleep deprived and burnt out. And it should be at least the same as, as the attacks guy. You know, these people should be working about a 40 hour week, which should give them enough time to recover. Um, but then you've got to reverse engineer that. That means that, you know, there's the people that we work for have got to secure budgets for that, which means that the, the public got to understand truly 
what a police officer, a paramedic, a firefighter actually does instead of this ridiculous uh, 1920s image that they have of us sitting around smoking cigars and playing cards. So that's really, I mean, it, it, there's not a lot of complexity to it. It's about ownership from us and setting the bar high in fire departments, but then the people we work for giving us the tools to be the best, uh, best trained, fittest version of ourselves so we can make the most impact in our community. That's fantastic, and I think that your your line of what you say, yeah, maybe a little harsh of how would you feel if your family died, is is maybe a little direct, but at the same time, that's just a reality. And I think that I, I was just at a meeting the other day with the Red Cross, and they put up these photos of Puerto Rico and, and Houston, and there was just pure devastation. And the first thing you said is, imagine this being your home. And it's the same sort of thing of like, if you, you really have to put yourself in the shoes of what the worst case scenario is to truly understand what that could be like. And so now what are you going to do about that? And I think that what you're saying is within the firefighters, you have to be your best self. And if you're not, then you're not taking your job seriously. And I, I do think a lot of firefighters are changing and, and, and improving and focusing on health and wellness and doing these things that are really important. And like you said, I think that's you are a product of what you put in your body. You are a product of what you do to yourself when you're not on the clock. And that, that's, you, you should do what makes you happy, but you really got to do what you, that makes you allow you to be your best self on the firefighter while you're on the clock. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and so talk to me a little bit about this breaking the traditional norm of what firefighters are, have this perception of being. I mean, from, hey, the, you know, just rub some dirt on it, it's going to be fine. You, you just be tough. Don't, don't worry, you know, leave your bunker gear on for, for days at a time and don't worry about like all the, the soot and all the, the ash on you. I mean, some of these things from the perception of being tough to now kind of understanding that, hey, some of these things were, are actually extremely detrimental to the health. I mean, how is it, what does that norm look like and how, how is that norm changing and how can we break that, that social perception? Yeah, well, I've, I've been looking at that, obviously, with the, the whole PTS and PTSD thing that's really kind of grown the last, to us, I think, in general, the last two, three years, probably at most, that I've really seen it talked about in, in the departments that I've been involved with. Um, but it's, again, asking, well, where did that mentality come from? I've talked about this um, thing in, in, the, in one or two of my interviews with other people. You think about a World War II generation. They didn't come back to England, back to the US, back to Australia, beating their chests and, and wearing t-shirts saying, oh, I was in World War II, I was out there getting it, you know, you guys are all, you know, pathetic if you're not doing what I did. No, they, they came back and they assimilated and they they went back to work in whatever country they was. And a lot of these people didn't even talk about it. And I'm sure partly because of the trauma. So then you've got the next generation, which is kind of like, you know, my age, I'm 44 now, the 50s around then where they really didn't see any trauma. I know, at least in, in England, unless they were in the Falklands War, and in, in here, obviously, unless they fought in, let's say, Vietnam. Um, and so there's almost like we overcompensated for not having any trauma in our lives, and this version of what a man should be like got warped completely. And obviously, you know, women as well, but you don't tend to hear that so much from from our sisters in, the, in these services. But it's... Uh, it's this notion of a man is so wrong. A real man is out there, you know, training for this job, taking it seriously and seeing this horrible stuff, but can also come back and talk about it and be like, you know, 
that was awful, but this rub some dirt in it mentality, I think is 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 a a crappy coping mechanism for these people that actually are hurting themselves. Um, and then, so as far as like the bunker gear, and you know, you've got to have a uh, sit on your helmet and all these these concepts that we hear. I always counter with, well, what do you wear on your pack? You know, you're on your back. You wear your pack now. So one day, at some point, enough was enough. And people are like, okay, breathing smoke actually is killing all of us. So you got to have some of these these moments where you are big enough to to break through that cliche image of what's tough, because there's nothing tough about lying there. You know, 50% of your original body weight with needles in all your arms and a tube in your throat. That's not tough, but that's the result of you know some of these practices that we've been doing. Um, so whether it's physically with our gear, um, you know, physically not taking ownership of our fitness, or trying to hide from the fact that as a human being spending 25, 30 years not sleeping every third day and seeing awful trauma that you know, many of our soldiers that are out in conflict are only going to see for five, maybe 10 years, and we're seeing it for double, triple that. Um, you know, you have to just accept that, yeah, that's going to affect you. So this rub some dirt on it, to me, is the complete opposite of the brotherhood that we love. If you're a brother to someone, you're out there and create an environment for them to talk, for your sister to talk. But if you see someone hurt and then you come back with rub some dirt in it, then you're basically sticking your middle finger up at the whole concept of brotherhood. Yeah, and that's not what should be going on right now because just we i think we, it's pretty apparent we've learned a lot of these different tactics and some of the exposure to some of these different things are truly detrimental to health and i think now that we've become more aware of it it's something that we need to put some more proactive uh, procedures in place to actually prevent some of these different practices from happening and i think one thing that i'm uh, interested on in terms of asking you about is is uh, now switching the conversation to, to more of the mental health side of this. I mean, you talked about the sleep deprivation and, and some of the, the physical toll, but I, I think people would maybe find it a little surprising or maybe wouldn't fully understand the whole notion of you know, PTSD for a firefighter. Like, what do you mean PTSD for a firefighter? I mean, so maybe give us an example of what, why, why does a firefighter uh, experience PTSD or how, how does something like that possibly develop over time for a firefighter and, and maybe also tell me about like maybe the misconception of how firefighters actually are do are, they're, they're on the front lines of some of these these crazy things that happen on a daily basis and that really does take a mental toll on you even though maybe the general public never would have ever thought about that yeah yeah well the way that the analogy that i like the most and is used is universally with a lot of people that are um you know passionate about this topic is you have a receptacle. So let's say it's a basket, a wicker basket. And you know, you're a brand new firefighter. You've just been sleeping in your own bed every night and you finally get the badge pinned on your chest. You're good to go for a while. You've got a nice big basket. And so as you start seeing these traumatic things, you start throwing these memories in the basket, but it's not overflowing, you're fine. Um, something that can definitely fill the basket a lot of people forget about as well is the trauma that you brought with you before you became a firefighter. So none of us were born and then given a badge and then started work. You know, there's people that had horrendous childhoods before they became firefighters. The people that served in the military for a period of time before they became firefighters. People that were police officers before they came. So you've got all these different things. But the other side of the scale is you add these shifts. Now, if you my my just to be very clear, my ideal I think in the fire service is 24 for uh, 24 72. Excuse me. 
42-hour work week, you get three days, or really technically two days to recover from the 24 hours. Most of us don't have that. Most of us work 24, 48, or a version of, which is a 56-hour week. So then imagine that basket now is made of wicker. You're starting to pull away at that wicker and make that basket shorter simultaneously as you're throwing things in. So you can have two types of event. You can have the pulse shooting. You can have, you know, the the, um, the Las Vegas shooting, you know, the Katrina, whatever it is that, that can be this huge event that's a, a, a career a call. Or you can have that cumulative effect where your basket just overflows. So you get, you see this a lot. You get people that are almost maxed out, they're still doing okay, and then they have a divorce, and they have a child that, that gets, you know, sick. Um, so there's so many different concepts, but the point is the first responders, they're filling that basket with things that most people are going to see maybe once in their lifetime, just one event, and they're seeing it over and over again. And it can be even things like, um, you know, these elderly people, these codes that we run, just the inability to bring these people back. Because in the movies, they all come back, and they cough, and then they shake your hand, and then you know you get a medal two days later. The reality is I've been a fireman for 15 years. I haven't had a code save yet. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm in a, more of an anomaly. I'm kind of a black cloud, I guess. But, um, but that's the point is that you know, all these things all contribute. Um, so I think that's what people misunderstand is, yes, the horrendous things that we see once are definitely one. Yes, the pediatric calls are awful as well. But it's the cumulative ones that people aren't going, given credit for. And I believe they just passed a, a, a PTSD woman's comp presumption. Um, but I don't believe it encompasses that cumulative. You have to have been exposed. You have to name an event that gave you PTSD. Uh, the other side of it is this. So that's PTS, the, this, this thing that we're seeing and this basket that's filling. Now you can definitely, in my opinion, remove some of those memories or make that basket taller again, repair it through good nutrition, through exercise, through mental practice, through at least trying to figure out your sleep on the, the very few days that you do get off. Um, but... Uh, you know that that's that's the kind of cumulative thing that if if that balances off and it overflows the PTS which we all have anyone that's done this profession for any number of years um, becomes PTSD and that's when it's a disorder now and people don't like that phrase but to me it's when instead of you coping it's now overwhelming you but I also see that as an injury just like as we're sitting here now and I just had my knee scoped yesterday. I'm not going out and retiring on disability. I'm going to be rehabbing and then getting back to work. This post-traumatic growth that people talk about is, uh, you know, is, is completely um, achievable if you are given the time off your shifts and able to sleep and able to, to seek counseling and work through those. You're going to come back more resilient as a stronger firefighter police officer. But until we create that environment, we're going to see more and more suicides and, you know, depression and opiate overdoses and all the things that's just riddling the uh, community at the moment. Nice. And yeah, thank you for explaining in that analogy. I think that really helps me understand this whole notion of what this whole topic of post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic stress syndrome really does to you. And, and, and it's interesting that I would have thought, hey, yeah, it really is just sort of a, a one-time event. But if you think about it, that what what really happens is you know what what happens Tuesday morning, what happens Thursday night, every each and every week, and it's that series of events that build up those mundane moments that kind of are those things that you probably come back to all the time that 
are those really challenging times and those those difficult moments that you have to really dig to your core of your roots of why am I here? Why am I doing this? Some of it's maybe you don't have a choice. Some of it's because it's your passion. Some of it's because you're supporting your family. Whatever it may be, there's a lot of these factors that go into why firefighters are doing what they do. Uh, and then part of it, they, maybe they don't understand why they're doing it just because it's the way it's already been done. But what I really liked what you said is the whole notion of post-traumatic growth. And I love looking at life and this whole notion of the obstacle is the way. We understand this is a problem. We understand this is an obstacle as opposed to looking at this as something that's going to hold us back from living our life and being our best self. You you mentioned some things that how to repair and help alleviate. What are some of these – give an example of what is a post-traumatic growth example and success story that that you've seen and what are some ways that other firefighters can actually – look at this problem as not only as a problem, but an opportunity for growth. Yeah, I'll give you a very mild example, and I'll give you a, a much more extreme example. So a mild example would be me right now. I have uh, I hurt my knee six weeks ago, so I've come off shift. I'm on workman's comp for a knee injury. And there's been initial doctor's appointments, and then MRIs, and then follow-ups, and then finally got a scope yesterday. So I can testify right now, sitting here in my office, that I feel a thousand times better than I did six weeks ago, you know, mentally and physically. So, you know, one key is obviously getting off shift. I mean, if this was a, a you know, a, just a, a mental event that I had, even though it isn't, I I can testify that just getting these men and women off shift for a few weeks is huge in itself. An extreme version, if anyone's aware of a platform I set up a couple of years ago called the Dark Side Project, one of my close friends, um, Matt, was in an extremely dark place and he talks about it in the video um, but he's literally in tears as he's talking he went through you know some of the routes um, and he was actually off the I think as far as I remember kudos to Anaheim I think they took him off shift as well for a while and he found a thing called save a warrior program which I talk to Jake Clark the founder in one of my episodes um, and he went through that and now he's back at work and he mentors other guys coming through his program. So I think he's a perfect example of, of that. He's more resilient now, and he's able to give back. And that, that so many people I've talked to that have come out the other side, it's that sense of purpose. And obviously being a firefighter gives you a sense of purpose, but when you find you know, other ways of helping as well, that's another thing I've noticed is a common denominator is sleep. And then this this reason when you wake up, you know that that you're going to make the world a better place. Those two things are, are are definitely definitely very important. You have to have that structure, like I said, where you find someone who's going through it, and you give them uh, an environment that will help them push through that and be stronger on the other side. If you don't take them off shift, if you don't get them counselors that understand what we do as a living and are used to dealing with police, fire, military. Um, you can definitely make it worse. And we see you know, the, the circumstances of that in the papers all the time. That's really cool. So does it, is this Dark Side Project something that's still going on? Or are there other resources that you recommend for first responders to, to reach out to or to explore if they're going through a similar problem like this? Um, yes. Yeah, so there, there are many great resources now. And it's funny because I wish, I wish there was one that I could just send everyone to. Um, but, uh, the, the dark side project was more of, it was a very early thing. It's a standalone Facebook page. I post things once in a while, but it was really 
getting some courageous people to go on there and talk about PTS. Some of them were in the disorder phase, absolutely. Others were doing well, and their, their thing was more about, hey, I, I was drinking for a while, realized it wasn't working, and now you know, exercise or meditation is my thing, and they're, they're more like success stories. But it's not really a place to go to find help. It's more to realize that you're not alone. And that's, that's the feedback I got. It's like, I thought I was crazy. And there's, you know, nah. we're, all, we're all going through this in different levels. Um, but there are some, some great people. There's a, um, a captain at Raleigh Fire Department, Dana Ali, who's very quickly becoming one of the faces of PTS in the fire service as far as the research and, and um, areas like that. So I definitely listened to that episode and um, you know, search her out on Facebook. Um, but there are, there are many resources. The IAFF has the, the Wellness Center up in um, the Northeast now. Um, one of my friends is actually working on a project that ultimately will be nationwide and will, is an app and will actually allow people to find people around them that have actually been trained for us. Um, but what we're seeing now is this, there's not a unified group that we can say, okay, go to this website and it will give you all the answers. So now that we've accepted it, now there's this kind of catch-up where people are starting to develop these these groups and these support groups and wellness centers. Um, so for anyone listening, I would say initially try and do some searching around your area. And then if you don't have success, I would definitely reach out to Dana because she is just a world of knowledge and far more um, well-connected in that area than I am and, and would be... Uh, probably much more um, of an asset to reach out to than me. Well, that's great to know that that exists and we're interested in learning more as that develops. And it's funny, mm -hmm. we're, we're sitting here, um, I'm in my office, you're at your home, we're talking on Skype. And actually when I, I first found you through Instagram and I found you as a, from a podcast you create, and I, I should have mentioned this at the beginning, but you yourself have your own podcast, that's correct, right? Yes, yes, cool. Behind the Shield. So tell me about this Behind the Shield podcast. How, why did you start it? How did it start? And sort of what's the, the meaning behind it? Um, yeah, I, I, long story very short, I can't remember who it was. I've, I've heard it a couple of times. But people said, if you're looking for something and it's not there, that's your sign to create it yourself then. And that's what it was. I was looking for a, a good fire department wellness podcast that talked over and above you need to do push-ups you need to eat lettuce you know they really expand on wellness and understand that firefighter is what we do it's not who we are you know we we love it and we're passionate about it but we are dads we're husbands we're you know surfers and golfers and um you know whatever else makes you the human that decided to pin that that badge on your chest so um I and I, I as I said I, I came through exercise physiology in university in England and then um, UF here in, in America and I in my mind is like a sieve it just you know I don't retain this information that's why you know I'm not an academic by any means but I I could see the people that I wanted to bring to the community and so I just pulled the trigger one day another another thing I heard people say is um the, the best day to start a project was yesterday, but the second best is today. And I love that quote. So I went on Amazon, bought just a, a microphone and, you know, kind of watched YouTube videos on how to mix the, the show and just started putting it out there. So we're up to 86 episodes now. So we'll be at 100 soon. Um, and it has just blown up and had some incredible guests from 
special forces guys like Tim Kennedy and Pat McNamara through to, you know, authors and farmers and we had, um, uh, let me see, just, just a whole, uh, I've got Ishmael Bey coming up. He was a, a child soldier in, in Africa, um, that was rescued by UNICEF. I mean, so you've got these, these wellness people, I've got strength conditioning guys and, and nutrition, but then we go outside to the kindness and the, the human side and, stories of resilience, stories of forgiveness um, that we can apply back into our profession as well. So that's, uh, that's it in a nutshell. It's really fantastic. Through your production of the Behind the Shields podcast, have you had any podcast in particular that really surprised you or where it was you, you went on and then you maybe had just someone, something they said or something that really sticks to you that through your experience of creating this content with these amazing individuals, Anything in particular that stands out as like, man, that was something that like really changed my perspective or really caught me by surprise? I think it's more what, by chance, I started with my format of starting right at the beginning. So their childhood, their their, their family environment. And that was that was the biggest kind of aha moment that, that I kept that format. And, you know, I hope it, it never gets boring. But I had one, one of my fellow firefighters and, and, you know, it's a perfectly reasonable ask but he's like oh can we just cut the the beginning out and just you get to the nuts and bolts and i explained to him that the beginning these people's early lives before they came the one that we are familiar with now that's where a lot of the gold is um because you know you understand why this navy seal became a navy seal because of of his childhood or you know this um this successful mma guy was actually a getting bullied all the time at school or whatever so it really adds dimension so there wasn't specifically one thing it was just a that and then b just the, the common denominator that all these amazing people that i've had all want to make the world a better place in their own way and being you know i'm, I'm very unplugged from from media i don't have cable i haven't had it for years now for the, for the very reason that we get bombarded with commercials we get bombarded with this ridiculous you know Pony show they call the news with the uh, you know four people arguing with each other on a split screen, um, and so that was the other thing is it just warmed my heart that these true you know people that were proud patriots or whatever country they come from are out there doing this, but no one's hearing it because all we're learning about is is Kardashians and you know Twitter arguments with the world's great leaders. You know, <laughs> it's just yeah. it's ridiculous. So. The people out there that are actually making a difference a lot of times are at the ground level, and that's that was what really inspired me. So it was just restoring my faith in humanity is the thing that I've really brought back so far. I love it. Yeah, it's easy to get inundated with the overwhelming amount of content, whether it's talking about tweet storms or whether it's talking about what, like you said, the Kardashians are doing or some reality TV show or something that happened in Asia that uh, – between different politicians or whatever it may be. I mean, it's easy to kind of look at that and maybe kind of get in your own head. And it's hard to really kind of separate some of the noise with what actually is something real. And I think that's a value of podcasts. That's a value of reaching out and, and talking with some of these real heroes. And in just one, one episode that I listened to of yours that really was an extremely emotional podcast that I think I think it might be your most views, but I think it was episode 39 with Dustin Hawkins. And man, I think if anyone's list wants to listen to your podcast, I'd recommend the episode 39. I mean, if you want to listen to just a, a hero and a, a warrior, that guy truly um, 
will put you in a good, give you some good perspective and put you in your place. If you think you're having a hard day or a tough time uh, and just want to have some good perspective and reframe your the way you're going about your daily life and want to hear a hero, uh, I'd recommend episode 39 with Dustin Hawkins. I couldn't agree anymore. I think you want to hear as well acceptance, you know, a, a fireman that's been just had that burning desire to be a firefighter for years, years, story about when he was in the academy and when he got hurt and then uh, got burnt um, on the job and then, you know, one of his close friends and what happened with him. And then you're going to realize again that you're not alone and you're going to hear his stories is going to resonate with you. But I've had the feedback from people like, you know, wherever they were, like one was Pip from 555 Fitness and he's like, dude, I was rowing in the gym. I said, at one point I was in tears, the next minute I was laughing. And so people around me thought I was insane, <laughs> but awesome. you know it is. So that, and I think Ishmael Bayes is going to be too, is going to be the same. He's not as emotional because he's told the story before. But you talk about forgiveness, you talk about gratitude. When when you hear of a uh, a boy whose family were all murdered and he was forced to be a boy soldier and drugged up and forced to kill and then was finally rescued uh, by UNICEF. Again, I haven't released that one yet. That's going to be in the next few weeks, but. That's going to be another one. If you want to reset that baseline, <laughs> that's the one. Yeah, that's fantastic. And like you just said, from those different qualities of forgiveness and gratitude, and one of my biggest things I really focus on is empathy, trying to put yourself in the other person's shoes. On, Like you were just talking about the beginning of the podcast, it's really important to know where did you come from? What brought you here today? Why? What's your story that brought you to where you are today? And trying to peel the onion to really understand the facets of each person and I think with the firefighting discussion the firefighter realm there's so many things that go into this perception of the firefighter and I love what you said of it's it's what we do not who we are where we're all humans in the end regardless of profession whether you're a tax accountant firefighter or just a, an entrepreneur in some capacity we're all humans and we all just want to live a happy and fulfilled life and be good to others and I think that you've done a great job of teaching me a lot about that with your podcast. And and, and just even on this podcast here, I'd hope that a lot of people will, will find that uh, being really, really valuable. And so just on that note, thank you. And, and second, if people want to learn more about you or listen to your podcast, how could they go about doing that? Okay. Well, firstly, thank you for having me on. It's, it's you know, once in a blue moon that I'm on the other side of the microphone and I feel how uncomfortable it is. <laughs> I get the luxury of just asking questions and then shutting up normally. Um, so I really appreciate you uh, uh, having me on and, and anyone that listens to this, thank you for taking the time to delve into my weird mind. Um, but so as far as finding uh, the Dark Side Project, that's just a page on um, Facebook. And like I said, it's a standalone thing. You're, you're going to see this this uh, communication between people, and, and it's a good place to to realize that what you are feeling is normal in this profession. Whatever you are, you're a police, fire, mortician, whatever. You know, if you're seeing things that are outside of normal life, you know, then then you should be dealing with some stuff. It's just human nature. Um, the podcast itself is called Behind the Shield. Um, you can find it on all the podcast apps, iTunes in their store. Um, there are two behind the shields and I got to say credit to the one, the other one was there before me, but it's like a gamers, um, you know, like a fantasy gaming podcast. So you'll see that my one has an accent and Halligan in the top. Um, and then uh, there's an accompanying website, which is at jamesgearing.com that has all the episodes on as well. Um, but also some blogs that I wrote, some of them, um, did extremely well and I'm not 
known as a writer by any means, but there was one uh, I wrote called I Wish My Head Could Forget What My Eyes Have Seen that was viewed, uh, I think, almost 150,000 times. It went, I think, viral, as they say. Um, so if you if you like to read as well, there's there's some of those there that just kind of highlight some of the areas that I'm passionate about. Um, and then on social media, Behind the Shield uh, is on Instagram. I think it's behind TS911, I think it is. I'm on Twitter, though I, I still to this day don't understand that, so I really am not, <laughs> not viewing that very much. And then Facebook again, the Behind the Shield uh, Facebook page there too. And then if you want to uh, do um, my own personal one, James Gearing is on there as well. So that's a whole slew of places to, uh, to connect with the show. Awesome. Well, we will also post that all in the show notes here, and we'll get this posted in a few weeks. And again, James, uh, you're a wealth of knowledge and a really cool story within the firefighting realm. And we hope we look forward to talking and working with you more and listening to more of your podcasts here in the future. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you for having me on, and you have a great day. Take care, mate.